We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, I've got some things I want to share. I probably am not going to get as deeply into these passages as some would like for me to get, but um, um, the Lord kind of gave me a, a fresh perspective on it, so I, I want to I share this with you. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word, your God, because it is full of life, your God. Lord, uh, in it we find words of life, your God. We find guidelines that help teach us how to live for you. God, we have things that pinch sometimes and, and challenge us, and they're not easy, your God. Sometimes it's painful, and it, it, uh, it remaps the way we think, your God, and Sometimes it shines a spotlight on areas of our lives that are not very comfortable. So, Lord, I pray this day, dear Lord, that you would guide and direct in everything that's shared. Lord, I pray, Lord, that your grace would be here, that your goodness would be here. And, Lord, that you would help us, dear God, to commit to live as you did. God, that we would give ourselves the way you did. And, God, um, thank you, dear Lord, for your graciousness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. And about now everybody's saying, oh my goodness, what is he going to be talking about? It's not, not that difficult. But uh, this, we're going to start out with it, uh, verse 21 of, of Ephesians chapter 5. And I just want to challenge us in this scripture to live as Christ did. Do as Christ did. It starts out and says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And just starting out with that verse, it says, you know, to submit to one another. We've all experienced, because we live in, in the same world, but the tendency in the world is to pedestal people. And some people want to climb up and look down on people and to disparage someone and to say a negative comment about someone. And, you know, just to be honest with you, Jesus didn't have a lot of problem with the world. Jesus had more problem with the religious, the learned. They knew a whole lot, but they weren't very much in relationship. Sometimes they're very zealous because of what they knew. But they, they, their um, interactions and their responses were not balanced by the intimacy of relationship with the Lord so that they were just responding rashly based on religion and the knowledge that they had but there was no spirit life in it and so you find Jesus there in in uh, Pontius Pilate's court and you find the religious people that are prompting the crowds the masses to say crucify him crucify him because our tendency is to find fault with, to say, well, they don't deserve this because of. Or, on the other hand, people will look at themselves and they'll try to put themselves up on some type of pedestal and say, well, I'm, I'm a bit better than they are. Or, you know, this even happens in churches where somebody's got a bigger hat than the other person or the, you know, the hair's fixed a different kind of way or the, the suit's better than that person's suit or the tie's better, the shoes are polished better and... And sometimes I'm not, I'm not trying to just talk about clothes and things like that, but 
isn't human nature somehow that we find out that our car is a little bit better than the other person's car and our house is a little bit better and my lawnmower is better than his lawnmower. Well, I've got a bigger gas grill than he does or charcoal grill. He may have a big gas grill, but everybody knows charcoal is better. And so, you know, we, we tend to, to try to one-up people and, and it's really shameful. And it's interesting that this passage here, starting out in verse 21, says, Submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. Why do we submit? It has nothing to do with whether or not they are better than, whether they know more than. It has nothing to do with where they land on the social totem pole or what their education is. We submit to one another. Submitting means that we are, we are actually putting ourselves under in order to help somebody else. To submit means literally that we put ourselves under so that we can help lift somebody up, so that we're helping them. We're submitting. They may, <clears throat> it doesn't say measure yourself beside them and then determine if you need to submit or not. It says submit to one another. What does that mean? That means that I, as the pastor of our church, need to be submitted to you. That means that I need to be submitted to our brothers and sisters in the faith, that together we need to do that. That's the only way we can really function together if we see each other in that kind of way and that we determine that rather than have animosity to one another, rather than coming against one another, rather than pointing the finger at one another, that we value one another as Christ did and that out of reverence, not for that individual, the relationship is not necessarily based on that individual. The, the basis of our relationship, the basis of our submission is that we reverence Christ. Because I'm in an intimate relationship with Christ, I can serve you. Because I'm in an intimate relationship with Christ, I can look beyond a deficiency or I can, rather than even looking at a strength and somehow feeling intimidated by, by that, by somebody, I can say, no, we're serving Christ together. And because I love Christ, I am going to serve that person. If they're blessed, if they're advanced, if, they, if, if, if I see them excelling, then praise be to God. Look what the Lord's done. God continue to bless them. If I see someone excelling in their gifts and, and they, I, I look forward to being able to just rejoice to see people just bloom and flourish in their faith and grow up in ministry and, and go surge out and, and out, out preach, out proclaim, out sing, out minister in every kind of way. That's exciting to me. Lord, so be it. I want to see the body of Christ flourish. I want you to grow up in your gifts and be able to do the thing God's called you to do. That's, you know, I've, I've known pastors who when they went on vacation, they would contact someone to come preach in their stead but they would call someone that they knew couldn't preach as good as they could. I am serious. Because they didn't want the church to get all excited about this new preacher coming in. So they kind of toned it down a little bit and brought in somebody that didn't know quite what they were doing. Or, But we should be able to rejoice when the church flourishes, when people grow. 
Be submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ. Understand the basis of our relationship, the basis why we can humble ourselves, the basis why we can endure when somebody may be difficult to deal with. It's not because they are our focus. It's because Christ is our focus. So it gives us the ability to, to be able to submit to one another. Now go back to verse 1. Remember, this is our, our core. I'm talking about our core as believers, not outside of being in a relationship with Christ, but now that we are in Christ. Verse 1 says, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. So our lives... Our responses to people, the way we live in front of people, the way we love, in all of those things, we should be imitating God. If God did it, we should be doing it. If God loved that way, we should be loving that way. We should be, ex- be an extension of God's work in the earth. We are dearly loved children. And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us. And it says, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What did he just tell us to do? He said, be imitators of God. And then what does he turn around and say? Christ gave himself for us. The word there for love is no surprise to us. It's the word agapeo, agape being the root. It's the God kind of love. It's not the deserved kind of love. It's not because that person treated me right, I can treat them nice. Because I see that one day it's going to benefit me, I'm going to water that relationship so that hopefully sometime I'm going to get something out of it. It's not that kind of love. This is, I value that person, I love that person because God loves them and that alone makes them worthy of my reaching out and loving them and being respectful to them, even when they may be disrespectful back. It is not a reciprocal kind of love. It is a giving kind of love. The interesting thing about the God kind of love, it's not measured by so much what we receive, but it's how much he gives. You know what? When you really agape love someone, it's not because of what you get back. It's just measured in your pouring out because that's what God did for us. Agape love. He says, as dearly loved children, so God's love's been expressed to us. His agape has been given to us as dearly agape children. Live a life of agape. Pour out into other people's lives just as Christ agape poured out into us. And he gave himself up. The word there is paradidomai, which is pretty well explained in the Scriptures, to give oneself up for another. It means that in Jesus' case, although he had every right to demand our respect, to demand our subservience, to demand our loyalty to him, to demand that we recognize who he is, that he's the Son of God, the ruler of the universe, even though he had all the right to demand that of us, he gave himself up on our behalf. And that's what the Scripture is telling us to do, that we be imitators of God, that we who know the Lord, that have experienced his love, that have had that extended to us, that we turn around and we give ourselves in the same kind of way. 
And so after that, the passage goes through and he talks about all these things that you find in the world and things that shouldn't be in the world and things that should be in the church. He comes back down to verse 21 and he said, So submit to one another. Submit to one another. What are we basically saying there? That our heart should be more concerned about somebody else's welfare, somebody else's advancement, somebody else's well-being, that we are giving ourselves to make sure that other people have the opportunity to flourish. Not just looking out for ourselves and hoping that I get everything that I want out of life. Because the truth of the matter is that God's faithful if we will be a giver. And if we're pouring out ourselves to help other people flourish and, and be blessed in the Lord, God's not going to forget about us. You can't outgive God. That's not just a slogan or a phrase. It's the truth. There's people here that could testify to that. So submit to one another. Why? Because they deserve it? No. Out of reverence to Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. And then he turns and goes through this passage that everybody's going to love me for. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands. I'm just going to go ahead and read through several verses here. I'm going to go ahead and read through the husband's part too. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Pastor, I'm going to let you take over from here. No, just. And then he says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and, through presenting, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, after all. No one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. We're going to go back to verse 22 here. It's really interesting, and, and we need to go back into context in order to really grasp what's going on in here. I feel like the Lord gave me a, a, a different perspective on this than, than, uh, so that we could grasp it more deeply. He's talking about our interrelationship inter with people. He's just been talking about submitting one another. But we have to go back and, and go back into content. We live in a Western society. We live in, live in America where two people date and they become sweethearts. And they've, they've been sweethearts for a while. They get to talking back and forth about the possibilities of what might be. And then at some point after some deliberation and contemplation and thoughtfulness there may be a ring that comes becomes a part of that relationship because it's a promise and a hope that one day we're going to be married and then people get married and they're joined together in this union there was a mutual decision but that wasn't always the choice back in the middle east 
and in the culture of the day that is being written to here. You know, if you go back and, and look at the context of where I've been reading in, in Kings and Chronicles, my goodness, those kings had so many wives. And a lot of times, wives were a part of a treaty or a part of a business deal. And so, you know, it doesn't even say in this passage, wives, love your husbands. Can you imagine that? Why? Because sometimes the wife had no choice in this union. Sometimes it wasn't even a decision made. Sometimes it was the dad and this husband-to-be. Sometimes it was an older man who was coming and said, Look, I can, make, I can bless your family with this amount of money, but I want your young daughter to be my wife. And so it wasn't necessarily always a thing about love. And a young lady may be forced to be in a relationship with a man that she didn't love. I know that's not a pretty picture to paint, but the reality is that was what went on in the culture. It wasn't a mutual standing couple. And also the perspective is that a lot of times in this time, in this culture, it is not like our culture in the United States and generally in the Western world. And still in some countries around the world, the, the wife is considered a less than. She's little more than property. Some of that's starting to change. My goodness, it's quiet in here. Get that sinking feeling. But it's the truth. So what does the Scripture say to someone who finds themselves in that position? Look. I'm not going to even to try to imagine or try to promote the fact that our culture is perfect in this. Because there are still people that are glad to have a wife so she can take care of all of the details. And it is not a balanced playing field. And even when that perfect supposed to be perfect somebody is not loving the way they're supposed to be loving in the middle of that scenario we're challenged by scripture it says wives submit yourselves to your husband as to the lord and that doesn't mean that he's being perfect but it's going back to that concept of offering yourself up to see someone else it is a work of Christ through us to be able to create an opportunity for God to work through somebody. And, and wives, let, let me just say this from a man perspective. I'm going to stand here by Cecile while I say this. A lot of times men will let you do everything that you're willing to do. Do you know what I mean by that? Honey, can I have some more lemonade, please? While I'm sitting in the recliner or something like that. A lot of times men will let the women do all that they are, that they're willing to do. And uh, God speaks to men too. Okay, we're going to get to that right now. But the Lord does challenge the wife to submit to her husband. I, I just want to say this. <clears throat> there's, only, there's three and a half verses here that talk to women. There's nine verses that talk to the men. 
What, what struck me when I was reading this passage, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of whom he is the Savior. I, I started asking, but Lord, where are the qualifiers? Where are the qualifiers? Wives, submit to your husbands if. Wives, submit to your husbands when. Wives, submit yourself, yourselves to your husbands in this type of scenario or, or, or because he did this or he did that. And, and those qualifiers aren't there. I, I almost wanted to find a qualifier because you and I both, we all know situations where the marriage was not a good and healthy situation, where the relationship was unbalanced, where there was brokenness and hurt. I know people who, ladies, wives who've walked through scenarios, people that are a part of our fellowship, a part of who have been right here, that have walked through the imperfection of marriage, and yet in that place have allowed the character and the nature of Christ to be displayed to a, a husband that was not reflecting the nature of Christ. I'm not going to paint or tell anybody's story or get that close to it. But I just want to commend you. If you're in a situation or if you have been in a situation, if that's your story, and you have, instead of pulling back from an imperfect situation, I know that there are, there are times when the marriage cannot go on. But if you have been in a place and you have given yourself, if you've submitted yourself even in an imperfect place, let me just first say that that was never God's intention. But I want to commend you for taking hold of the grace of the Lord and learning to love an imperfect person and to esteem an imperfect person and reverence an imperfect person and submit yourself to someone that was not 100% being the person they should have been. I'm not 100% the husband or the father that I should be and I'm, I'm thankful for a good wife God didn't put qualifiers here you see the thing that I learned and the thing that I want to present to you when I was going through wives submit to your husbands husbands love your wives is that there is not mentioned here something that says that you're supposed to do these things. These are imperatives. These are commands. These are not, if, thing, if, you, if it suits your fancy, if you just feel good about it, if everything's going perfect, then submit to your husband. Or husband, if your wife's treating you right, then love her. That's not the case. It's a command that these reflections of what we're asked to do in this passage are our responsibility to do irregardless of what the, is that the way you're supposed to say? Is it regardless or regardless? Of what the other person is doing, we have to do the right thing without regard to what that other person is doing. Why? Why would God do that? Why would God expect that of us? Because in the journey, we learn more about who He is. 
than it is about that relationship with that person. It's more about learning who he is. In submitting to someone, a wife submitting to her husband, she learns more about Christ's willingness to give and to serve and to be a blessing. In a husband learning to love a wife, he learns more about what the Father's heart, what God's heart, what Jesus' heart was for his bride and how his desires to be in well-being. And I shouldn't be getting into the husband yet, but really the journey here is about learning how to reflect the nature and the character of God. And so the challenge given here to, to women, look, it's not a thing about authority. It's not a thing about superiority. It's really about learning to serve and to, to be mindful of doing what is a blessing to somebody else. When I talk about this, I know that personal experience that people have had, there's been pain, there's been hurt, there's been abuse. People have taken advantage of kindness. And let me just say this, Christ experienced all of it. Christ gave himself for us, and it was just absorbed. Christ prepared food, and people came back looking for the next meal. They didn't ask about doing the dishes. Jesus washed feet. He gave of himself. He poured out his life to take care of other people's needs. And he wasn't asking back. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their, to their husbands in everything. Husbands, cherish a loving wife. Value a good woman. It goes on in verse 25. There are other people... I would love to have my wife stand up here and share from a wife perspective, but I didn't ask her to do that, so I'm not going to ask her to do it right now. Husbands, <laughs> you might learn something. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. You want to? Yes. You want a microphone? turning on first of all my husband is an honorable man and the man that you know as your pastor is the same at home he is loving I grew up in a very loving home um, my father grew up very hard and did not know how to love me he loved me I knew he loved me even when I felt um, alone and rejected I knew he loved me because he said he did he was just a hard worker and a taskmaster, but he loved me. And when I met David, even when we were dating, he was kind to me in ways that I didn't even know how to respond to because I expected, I mean, I didn't think about all those things in this way, but I expected him to expect me to meet certain um, imaginable marks, un things that... Um, because my dad expected me to meet certain benchmarks that weren't actually told. You know what I'm saying? There, were, there was always something more that I had to 
to perform or to do. And so I expected David to do that. But he has always exemplified this example. He's not a perfect man. He's wonderful, but he's not perfect, and neither am I. But we make a good team. But he taught me how to love without expecting a task to be done. He used to call me when the children were little and say, how's your day? Well, I finally got the dishes done, and I got this one down, and I got this one up, and we did this, and we did this. And he said, I just wanted to know how you're doing. And I didn't know how to respond to that because to me, how I was doing was how many um, points, how many accomplishments, how many tasks I had completed. And so, but what I want to point to is that cherishing. Um, It's interesting to me, and I guess you're going to get there, is the cherishing your spouse, either way, whether it's husband or wife, to cherish that person. Let's say that person, you know, were aging and they're not as beautiful as, as we once thought they were. Well, I just walk by the mirror and go, well, we're going to make it anyway. <laughs> Things change. We change. But I cherish my husband. And I choose to cherish. And he's chosen to cherish me. And it's a, it's a choice. But that choice will lead you into deeper love. Praying for your spouse will lead you into a deeper respect and, and admiration. And it starts out sometimes with just being obedient. The Lord taught me when I was in college. I'm going to let go. <laughs> I was very angry. We all come to that point in our young adult lives where we have to deal with how we grew up. And I can tell you I wanted to be the perfect parent. But I quickly learned that I'm completely incapable of that. And I was never intended to be the perfect parent. Only the perfect child to, to be available to God. Because you can't meet every one of your child's needs. You can't. You can be the perfect parent to them, but you cannot meet their needs. Because they weren't meant to be met by you. They're only meant to be met by the Lord. But as a young adult, I came to that place where I was very angry. I saw other friends who had more wonderful families, or so you think anyway. And I was very angry because of the things that my dad could not provide for me. But it wasn't his fault. He gave me more than what his father knew to give him. And I had to learn that and to forgive my dad and let... I I asked God to not hold him accountable for the things that he couldn't be to me. It wasn't fair for me to hold a chain around my dad to be something he couldn't be or hadn't learned to be yet. But I had to forgive my dad. And it started with a simple verse, honor your parents. And if I'm skipping to your next week, I'm sorry. We'll do it. You can do it again. Because a lot of people are not here. <laughs> it says to honor your parents. And what's it say after that? In the Lord or as unto the Lord. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Yes, that's next. Because it's the right thing to do. And that's where I had to start. Lord, you said that I was supposed to honor my mom and my dad. And I don't know how. I don't know how to do it. I'm angry. And the Lord said, I want you to start writing down the things that are positive about your dad. But God softened my heart. 
And the first thing that came was he provided for his family. That's all I had at first. But as time came, I began to see things that about my dad that were cherishable and treasurable. There were still things that I wasn't happy with, but that's not my fault anyway. He's God's, not mine. I mean, you know what I'm saying. He belongs to the Lord. But I began there, and the Lord began to soften my heart towards my dad and that I could honor him. There were times um, one Christmas I made, you know, nobody cross, who cross-stitches? I used to. I, I can't do it anymore. My eyes aren't that good. <laughs> little tiny stuff. But I cross-stitched, uh, and Mom still has it. It's in a frame. It's a little bird, and it says, um, trust in the Lord. But it was talking about asking for wisdom uh, from your parents. It's a proverb. Um, but calling for instruction and wisdom, and I don't remember the verse. That's terrible. But it was something I gave to my dad, and I'm not sure he really appreciated it. It's a cross-stitch. But... Um, that was my act of love to him. And um, through the years, I've been able to do things. And I can't say that we always see eye to eye. And um, we don't always agree on certain things. But I'm thankful that I took care of a lot of that early on. Because now Daddy's 80. And you've heard. And he's had a stroke. And it's sometimes we don't have anything to talk about. But I'm thankful that my heart is soft towards him. So I don't know where that came from with marriage. But um, maybe you can bring it back around. <laughs> Again, love's not about what we get. It's about what we give. And I remember Cecile going through that journey where she would have to ask the Lord what she could love her dad when you know, what, what was some positive aspect, and so she would write a little note or a, ca a card and say, Dad, thank you for provi providing for the family. And that may be it, but that started breaking down a wall in her and with him, and the interactions started to increase, and it started to, uh, they love each other. He will weep up and, and cry thinking about her and talking about her, and pretty much anybody now is... <laughs> Anyhow, I want to get to verse 25 where it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Understanding that the word here, love, is agapao or agape. The root is agape. It is not... There are, are various different uses for that root agape, but when it's used as agapao, when you go back and study it in the Greek, there are certain type of things where you see where people will love with the anticipation of a return. You understand what I'm saying? You, you with me? Where we love or we extend ourselves to someone because we've got an anticipation of some kind of reciprocation on their part. They're going to do something back for me. I'm going to get some kind of benefit out of this, so I'm going to be sweetheart, sweetheart, or I'm going to do something. I'm going to get a gift. I'm going to do something for that person because I want to establish a relationship so I can get something back. This is not that word. This love is I am just going to pour it out on you. I am going to give to you. I am going to I am going to unreservedly pour my affection, my love, my care, everything I can 
so that you are benefited. Husbands pouring their life out so that their wife is taken care of, to make sure that the needs are met, to make sure that the household is taken care of, doing everything you can to make sure those needs are met. And it's not looking for the return. It is just giving and giving and giving. And that's the word that resounds through this passage. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved. Jesus left nothing on the table. He gave it all. It's not about the husband loving his wife or appreciating his wife because she meets all of his needs. It's about learning about the nature and character of God and husbands learning to give unreservedly, whether or not your wife gives back. You are there for her well-being. You are there to meet her needs. You are there to see that your wife and your children are taken care of, that their household is, is a good household, that they have got a place of refuge, that you are pouring out your life. You're giving your, your very life blood for them to make sure that they're taken care of. You're standing the gap on their behalf. That's what God's heart is for husbands. Just as Christ loved the church, and it says, and gave himself up for her. No, uh, it wasn't a mistake that the same uh, term that's used here for gave himself up for her is the same one that we find back in verse 2. We just read it, where it says, be imitators of God, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a living as a a fragrant offering and sacrifice so what it's saying is husband if you've got a wife if you've got a wife what you should be doing is giving yourself up as christ did all of a sudden your life (laughs) the purpose of your life is taking care of your household taking care of your family making sure that their needs are met you are pouring yourself out Pouring yourself out so that they are blessed. They're taken care of. Just because of human nature and sinfulness, and we don't get that picture all the time. A lot of times the husband is looking out to make sure that breakfast is on the table at a certain time and the laundry's taken care of. And see, the way that, that these relationships are measured from a scriptural perspective doesn't mean that you... Look over there and you say, well, they just really don't take care of me the way they're supposed to be taking care of me. So I get to pull back on my love or I get to pull back on my submission. I get to pull back on my responsibilities because they're really not living up to their expectation. That's not what the scripture says. It's an imperative to us that we do our part regardless of what the other person is doing. We do the Christ thing. Verse 26 talks about the wife, and it says that, that how the husband or how Christ gave himself up for the church to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And let me just stop right there because I want to come back and reflect on that. 
Again, restating the fact that it talks about Christ giving himself for what purpose? What was the purpose of Christ giving himself? It says to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing, by the washing with water through the word. Christ gave himself, his intent in giving himself was the washing, the cleansing, the purification, the making holy of the church. And his command to the husband here is to give yourself so that your wife has what she needs. Now, from a cultural perspective, there were certain things about, about women and women's life that, I mean, there were certain times when a woman was considered unclean. There were certain times when a man was considered unclean too. But the, the whole perspective here is the cherishing of, the valuing of, the loving of the wife. So that if there is anything that would cause her to be unclean, that there is a personal covering of her and a personal release of what's inside of you to be able to do what you can to cover her and to bring wholeness to her. It talks about washing with the word here, but speaking over her and nurturing her and strengthening her and watching over her, cherishing, love her in the God kind of way. Look at this verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love, let's just put the, husbands ought to agapao their wives as their own bodies. He who agapaos his life, agapaos himself. Really, that's kind of hard to say that, isn't it? Okay. He who loves his wife loves himself. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. It says here, Anyone who hates his own body, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. And I had, you know, we've got to interact with that a little bit, because it says nobody ever hated his own body. There are people that struggle with that. They struggle with loving their own bodies and looking in the mirror and appreciating what's there. I mean... We can see imperfection and things like that, but breakfast still happens. You still go to bed at night. You still get up in the morning and clothe that body. Why? Because even though there may be uh, an emotional challenge and an emotional struggle with self-respect, and a self-valuation, there's still internally, there's still a valuation of the life. There's still a valuation of that body. You still feed yourself. You still clean yourself. You still dress yourself because even though you may be wrestling emotionally with something, you're still valuing something there. Understanding self-esteem and a self-valuation is different than all of that. Those are emotional things that are tied to either hard experiences that you've had in your past or or a brokenness that comes from relationships that you've had. That, that is an imprint in your life. There is a core value where we do love life and we love who we are. It may be buried under our, a mountain of, of brokenness and hurt, but the reality is we still love ourselves. And if, if you do get up in the morning, you look yourself in the mirror and you struggle with who you see there, because of physical things or the fact that we're aging and our hair's falling out and crow's feet are growing and not to enumerate things in any kind of way. 
but <clears throat> things don't fit in the same place as they used to. Part of that's life. Part of that's life. Sometimes we have too high an expectation for ourselves instead of valuing ourselves for who we are. But learning to really value and learning to give yourself to someone, learning to put yourself in a place of inconvenience in order for the other person's well-being, that's learning about the heart of God to His people. And it says in verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Cleaving, becoming one. Can I just speak, speak to something here? I know that, you know, the st statistic is, the statistic is that in our nation, that 50% of all marriages fail. And while statistically that may be sound, it is not always that 50% of people who get married have marriages that fail. Okay, that may sound confusing. The reality is there are certain people that it may not be any fault of their own. It may be the other people all the time, but there are people that have multiple marriages, multiple marriages. And so you, you may see that when 50% of marriages fail, it's not that 50% of the people who get married, their marriage fails. It's 50% of the, the marriages fail because some people have had multiple marriages. Okay. I want to say this, that there's brokenness that comes. It's painful. God never intended for marriages to fail, but they do. So there's hurt, there's scarring, there is protective defensiveness that can come with that, which means that when sometimes in remarrying that there is a perspective or in growing up in a household where there has been a broken marriage or multiple broken marriages, the tendency is to look at the marriage as how long will it last? Or the last person I was joined to mistreated me in this kind of way, so I am going to guard my heart and not give myself completely to this marriage. And I'm speaking to something that I know is painful to people, but the reality is if you are not 100% in, you are creating walls that the enemy will use as a launch pad to bring destruction on your marriage. Marriage should be all in. It says here that uh, uh, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Not with reservation, not with hesitation, not I'm holding back. But we should be cleaving to one another. We should be becoming one. That means that we together face the struggles and the pains and the hurts. We together celebrate the victories. One person's success is our success. One person's heartache is our heartache. 
that we're joined together for the purpose of the Lord, that we're living out our life together. Don't let the brokenness of your past become the standard with which you with which you give yourself into this new relationship. Devote yourself to the Lord and learn to love even in, after having a broken heart, learn to love the way Christ loved his church. Learn to love the way Christ loved his bride or learn to, to give yourself to that person fully just as Christ did. Verse 32 says, This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So there's things here, you know, when it comes to, we didn't really spend a lot of time talking about the husband being head of the wife just as Christ, the head of the church, but Cecile and I walk as equals in our relationship. We're equals in our relationship. I'm completely comfortable with that. But if ever you have two heads in a, in a home or any kind of relationship or any kind of organization, it can become a train wreck. Can we just be honest? Tell me, I don't know, somebody may be able to come up. I was going to say, I mean, there are, there are calves that are born with two heads. There are snakes that are born with two heads. We've seen pictures like that. But tell me something that lives successfully that way. It's considered bizarre. You might see it at Ripley's Believe It or Not because it's unusual. So I asked Cecile this when we got married. I said, honey, I always want your opinion. I always want your opinion. I want to know what you think. But ultimately, there's going to have to be a decision made. And since God holds me responsible for our home because I've been dedicated as the head I said, I, I want your advice and I want your opinion, but ultimately someone will have to make a decision. And if I end up deciding differently than you in this, please give me the room to fail. And I'll endeavor to learn from it. I may make mistakes. Let me just go back and looking back historically. I've made mistakes. But in that, we grow. But somebody has to make a head, be the head. Somebody has to have the final word. And if, if somebody doesn't and if it's not understood, then what ends up happening is that it becomes strife throughout life. It becomes strife. And it causes more brokenness. So, again, I'm blessed with a, a wonderful wife. Thank you, Cecile. Um. We're in this thing together. This whole picture that he's given us, again, it's not the relationships where a wife submits to her husband or a husband and loves his wife, giving himself up to her. It's not really about making sure that our needs are met, but it's about us making sure that the other person's needs are met. It's about giving ourselves so that they're blessed. And in so doing, I want to reemphasize, it's all about us learning more about the character and nature of Christ than it is about us making sure that our needs are met. It's time for us to, to uh, close up. But before we do that, would you give me just a minute? Mom, I want you to come and share just from your heart. 
Um, I want you to feel free to share, and then I'd like for you to ask you, if you would, to pray for us to close service, okay? Well, praise the Lord. Let me make sure I have it turned on. I think, I think I held down the button too long. Now. Okay. I'm happy to be with you today. We've been challenged once again from the Word of God. And uh, so this is my good time, goodbye time for you and uh, me. Uh, I'm looking forward to going back to serve the Lord in Africa. And I realize I don't have, it, have as many years as I have already lived. But um, I, it's a joy for me to offer the time that I have for the Lord it gives me great consolation. So I would ask you to pray for me if you ever think of me. Just, just pray that what I'm able to do for the Lord, that it will last through eternity. Amen. I'd like to also encourage you to live a life that will please the Lord. When you read your Bible, apply it to your life and try your best to grow and to change. I pray that for myself. You know, even a, even a, a bush or even like these crepe myrtles that are out here, they look better when they get trimmed up and when, they ch when we change them, isn't it? It becomes scruffy. And we have to do that before the Lord and ask him to shape us up so that he can use us. And my confidence in serving the Lord is, is the, the Holy Spirit that I feel in myself or my commitment to feeling that I am doing the Lord's will that gives me that confidence. When we stand before the Lord, we want to have something that we have done in this world that has eternal benefits. Amen? So let's all make ourselves count for God. Let's be available to do anything, to say anything, to stand up for Jesus wherever we are, to represent him as best we can. To please God is the most important thing. And one more thing I would like to say is let's try our best to be more prayerful. We're living in an age, and I, it's, people are becoming so busy, so busy. They've got things in their ears, and i got something in mind, but it helps me here. <laughs> you know, there's so, there's so much <clears throat> to see and to hear. 
But we must be able to hear the Spirit of the Lord when he prompts us. We must obey God. And prayer is so important to be in contact with the Lord, to be praying, to, to be praying and promoting the gospel. And, and if you pray for the ministers of the world, pray for the <clears throat> people in other countries, praying for the pastors everywhere. That's a wonderful thing to do. Pray for your church. Pray for your brothers and sisters in the church. Pray for the family of God. Pray for the pastor that he will hear and preach the word of God. If you pray for him, he will preach better. <laughs> and when I say that, that's not a minus. <clears throat> but prayer works. Amen. I love you in the Lord. We're family. We'll meet again one day. Amen. God bless you. Oh, okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be together today. We thank you for blessing us with the word of God, for making it come alive and practical for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you will continue to work in our lives. May we give ourselves to you again and again, over and over again. May we be completely committed to you and submitted to you, dear Heavenly Father. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Bless us so that we can be a blessing, dear Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless us all.